the land between, which we are identifying with and learning about, is a, is a challenging time, and so it's meant to be. It's not an accident. It's actually the place where discipleship is forged. And, Lord, it's so easy just to throw our toys out of the pram and have a hissy fit. But, Lord God, we pray that we would walk through this time with maturity and come out of the desert, not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of the Most High. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so last week uh, I did the first of this, these, what were going to be two talks. I think I'm going to be extending it one more week simply because there's more that I want to say that I can get into the time allotted to me. But uh, last week, if you were here, you will be already up to speed on this. If you weren't, I do encourage you, please, to watch the video cast or the podcasts and, and to... Uh, and to just get into it, make time for that, because I think it'll give you a bit of a context, not just for the current phase two element of what we're doing, but also there are some insights there about life and discipleship, which I think it's, you know, we will learn those lessons. God will not call us out of the desert place until we've learned them, be it take, be it take 40 days or 40 years, as it, did in the, as it did in the case of the Israelites, but actually we can, we can foreshorten that, because we have... The, the lessons of history that we can find in God's word, but we can also encourage and challenge and comfort one another and build one another up to embrace the land between and get that lesson down and get that lesson in. Now, last week, um, I spent quite a lot of time helping you guys to identify with it because uh, you, you, know, you may not be aware that you're in the land between, but I think most of us, you know, at least at some part of our life, will be going through that, and many of us are going through it now. Certainly as a community, we're going through the land between. And what do I mean by that? Well, in this phase two thing that Richard mentioned, um, you know, we, we have uh, much to thank God for because about four years ago, I think it was, people started saying to me, there's not enough room here. We've got to, we've got to find more space. And that was just a, a practical observation. You know, we, we were getting hundreds of kids coming to our uh, uh, kids' ministry, and it was just getting crazy out there. And, uh, and of course, we, we don't run an open Sunday school, so it wasn't all the kids off the estate, as it were, tumbling through the door because their parents wanted to go and have a lie-in or go for a jog. Uh, you know, every child is brought by someone, and so if there were lots out there, there were lots in here, and so there was a challenge there. And, and I must say, I was, a little, I was a little resistant to that. I just thought we could manage our way out of this. But then I think probably two years ago, God began to really speak to me out of Isaiah 54, about enlarging the place of our tent, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, it nearly killed us getting here. Have we really got to do that? Well, long story short, you know, God will have his way, won't he? He's sort of like that. And, uh, and so we have bought the building next door, and uh, we've got uh, uh, an exciting plan. I'm going to show you a little animation in just a moment to develop that. Hopefully, we'll be able to start that in November. And, uh, and where we are in terms of the project is the land between. You know, when we first launched the project, when we went public with our leaders first and then with you guys, you know, people uh, by and large embraced it with a great deal of enthusiasm and excitement. I had people coming up to me and say, well, I knew we had to do it sometime. Glad you sort of caught up with the, the plan, Chris, which was very, which was very affirming. Oh, because people lovely. And uh, <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. I'm joking. 
And, uh, and so there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of hurrah, you know, the sort of, the, the band was out and, you know, we were playing and was excited with a new thing and new vision and all, this bit, all sort of trek off and very different sense of God's affirmation and call. And I'm sure that when we, when we have the mayor down and, you know, various worthies, maybe we get John and Debbie Wright, our national directors, come to speak, who knows, you know, when we open it, there'll be lots of hurrah and bands out and people patting on the back, but we're in the land between, we're in the, the tough yards in between, the start and the finish. Uh, and I mean, we're staring at, at you know, we, we need to raise 400,000 pounds still. You know, we've raised, you know, a, a phenomenal amount of money already. And we need 400,000 pounds. I, uh, I think the latest figure on the phase two is about 130,000. So we still need 400,000 pounds to turn that space into a place where Jesus reigns. And knock through. Originally, it was kind of just be something added on. But now we've just realized, no, we've got to completely rearrange this. The auditorium is going to stay much the same. Because we have seating, believe it or not, people are soft and surprised for, for 750 as it is. We can actually get 850 in here without, a, without a, too much trouble. So this will, be, will stay as a familiar place, although we have got plans to develop it should we need to. But pretty much everything else is going to change, and it's going to be very exciting. And so we're in this land between. We, 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 we've, we've owned the vision. We know we'll get there, but we're in this place in between, leaving Egypt and entering the promised land. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say, please, folks, if you've given before, please look at it again. If you haven't given, please pray about it. We do need to, to raise this extra money. And we don't do bring and buy sales or, or, or cupcake sales, although I do know Debbie Girton, bless her, makes the most awesome cupcake in, 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 the, in the nation. You know, but, but that's not the point. It's all by sacrificial giving, and I'm going to say a little bit more about that later, perhaps next week. But anyway, so there we are. That's the plan. But just to remind you, maybe you've joined the church in the last, within the last two years. Maybe you're not familiar with this. Well, I'm, I'm so thrilled to show you this lovely animation. So Hannah, could we just run that, and we'll just remind ourselves of what it is we're expecting to do here. Thank you. It is an exciting thing. And, and frankly, when we started the church 28 years ago, just the family... Uh, with, with so little resources, I mean, people sometimes think we were funded but from afar. No, it was, we, we just had 8,000 pounds in the bank. We didn't own a house. We had an old Volvo estate. And, and to be honest with you, it is God. Only God could do this. And only God could give us the influence that we have now. That, that wonderful music was recorded in this space and is on the Waterfalls album. And, uh, you know, we've planted churches out and... And it is, it is breathtaking, but it's only God. And this is only God. And you have, and I have the awesome privilege of being caught up in something that God is doing to become a regional mother church, which we already are. I mean, we will be welcoming 300 plus leaders from all over the southeast of England in less than two weeks to do the Global Leadership Summit. This, this profile and uh, provision amazes us and is truly God. So thank you, and we give God the glory. Give him a little clap here. But we all have a part to play. Last week, if you were here, I said there was one thing I wanted to alert you to, warn you about, if you will, and there were three things I wanted to encourage you by about the land between. I said last week that the land between, in spite of its desert appearance, is a fertile land. It truly is. Even in the natural, it's a fertile land. Once you add water to the equation, to desert land, extraordinary things can happen. In the fertile land, a fertile land, it's a fertile ground for complaint, I had to say. And as you read through the scriptures, you see just how the 
children of Israel responded to that pressure, that challenge. And, and, and whilst one can read the stories of, of, about how they whinged and whined their way across the desert, actually the truth of the matter is, and I'm a bit embarrassed to admit it, but if you're honest, I dare say many of you can identify, I see a little bit, a bit of myself in that. Anybody here ever whinged and whined at God? Oh, there's three of us, four, four honest people in the church. I'm going to ask that question again. How many of you ever whinged and whined? Oh, that's it, that's it, come on. I knew it, I knew it. But you know what? God, like every good father, and he is a good father, can take a certain amount of that. Every parent needs to know how to put up with the whining of their kids. It's a phase they go through. But there comes a point where, where actually there needs to be some discipline. There needs to be some sort of constraint. There needs to be some training. God is a good, good father. Believe me, he knows how to train his kids. He's done it before, okay? I also said about last time, uh, last week, that although it's a very challenging place and faith can founder in the desert, it's actually a fertile ground for faith because it's a place where we have to exercise faith. Everybody can be a full-on Christian on Christmas morning when there's presents under the tree and we're singing carols and eating mince pies. It's not difficult to be a Christian on that kind of a day. But it's on a grey Monday in March when there's nothing to look forward to and everything seems to be going pear-shaped. You know, the credit card receipts have come in from Christmas and it's left you a bit tight and the kids are still whinging and whining and you're thinking, whatever, you know. Uh, that's a hard day, that's, that, that's, and that's where many of us live much of our lives. And it's, that's the place where faith is exercised. That's the faith where, faith, where it comes to its for, the fore. And it's a place, though, where slaves are turned into sons. Slaves are turned into sons. The children of Israel came out of Egypt with a slave mentality. They couldn't believe their luck until they started to realize that they had to fend for themselves. You know, as slaves, things like basic daily needs were taken care of. Okay, they couldn't make a, they had no choice. They had no, they couldn't exercise decision. There was no days off or holidays unless they had a very, uh, you know, liberated and liberal master. But you know, all the basic things were taken care of, and suddenly they're in the desert, and there's no water. Duh. There's no food. Duh. You know. To the point where they say, you know, we'd be better off as slaves. So they come, they come out of it as a, Egypt with a slave mentality. But they went into the land of uh, Canaan. They crossed the Jordan 40 years later as sons and daughters. Princes and princesses believing that they were beloved by God and could take the land and rule it and have dominion over it because of what God had done for them. What God had done for them. There's a fundamental change in mentality and there's nothing like the desert place to sort that out in you. There really isn't. Desert places knock the corners off us. Desert places humble us. Desert places cause us to fall on our knees and, and, and just surrender to God afresh. And we come out of the desert places, the stronger for it, the better for it. So that was much of what I said last week. Well, as sons and daughters, God is able to discipline us. And that's the warning, that's the alert. And I wanted to spend a moment looking at that. But let's start with the scriptures. That's always a good place to start. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 2, verses, uh, and we'll read there. In fact, I think I might read from verse 4. So if you're following in your Bible or smart device... It'll come up on the screen. I'm going to 
skip the first couple of verses and begin at verse 4 where it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the shedding of your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. They're not God's responsibility, in other words. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, God is a good, good father. We're fond of singing that song, that lovely song by House Fires. It is a beautiful song. It's quite, quite literally the song of the moment. If you went to New Wine, it was sung endlessly. We sing it a great deal. First time we heard it, we were over in the States at my uh, son-in-law and daughter's church. They were worship pastors, and they introduced us to it, and we thought, that is a killer song. Forgive the colloquialism. We came back to Sam and said, we've got to sing that song. He says, I'm onto it. I've just come across it. And we sing it a lot. And the, the chorus you'll remember goes, you are a good, good father, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. I, and that's the truth. And we all want to embrace that. Of course, if you've got some father issues, if your father was abusive and, and, and you were victimized by him, that is difficult. But but God knows how to work around that too. There's space and there's provision for that, and we run courses to help people with that. But the principle is the same. God is a good, good father, but as a good, good father, as the scripture says, he knows how to discipline his kids. It came as a shock to me. It came as a shock to me. Many of you know our story, and there isn't time to go through it, and I'm not gonna bother to go through it, but, but there are various times, various seasons in Fliss of my life as we walk with God. We've been walking with the Lord for about 34 years. We weren't raised as Christians. We, we came across God, really, or he found us as we were making a reasonable amount of money in the jewelry business that we'd started. And, and God sort of impacted. And for the, it was a, initially, it was a wonderful honeymoon time. But after a while, I started. I used to describe myself, I feel like a, a, like a, a, a wind-blasted tree in a... In a a desert place. It's funny, I, I wasn't familiar with the scriptures then, but what was happening was that God was disciplining me. And that went on for quite some time, and that was quite disturbing. I remember shortly after we started this church, one of my colleagues, one of my friends, had to take me to one side and say, Chris, I've just got to say this to you, bro. You know, you're hard to live with. He was another pastor. And I said, well, what do you mean I'm hard to live with? What? And he says, you're so competitive. It's killing us. Please, just dial it down. And I tell you, it went straight to my heart. I didn't argue. I didn't get defensive. I went home. I, it was just like somebody walked into a, an attic room and switched the light. I suddenly saw what I was doing. And I was so insecure. And so It was so desperate when we first started. We, we didn't, we literally, I mean it, we lived hand to mouth. There were mornings when I'd get up and pray. And I'd say, God, I, I, I don't know whether we can last out to the end of the week. 
unless you come through for us in some way, send me a bit of work, I don't know whether we can do this. And that insecurity in me, that fear in me, was making me very competitive when I got together. And so God disciplined me. That had to be, that had to be worked out of me. And I tell you, it wasn't much fun. No discipline seems pleasant. But God is a good, good father, and he worked that out. There's been many times, I'm not going to bore you with more details about me in that sense. But God may be taking you through a time of discipline now. And it's important that you learn how to respond to that. Now listen, God has given us our emotions. I know that's a bit of a disturbing thing for some of you. Emotions are good, but we do have to learn how to manage them. Not suppress them necessarily, but manage them. And your initial reaction when this good, good father starts to make your life hell may be one of resentment. You may be grumbling. You may threaten him with removing yourself from the family of God. Many have done that. And it's one of the great tragedies. As I, you know, we've been around for so long now that, that when we walk through St. Albans on a Saturday doing a bit of shopping and stuff, I see many people who used to be part of this community and who are not. It breaks my heart. I, I, I rejoice over you. You're here today. But I see these, these folk who at one point walked with us and then they took offense or they got upset or something happened in their life and they couldn't believe that a good, good God would do that to them. And, and, and it's a tragedy. But believe me, folks, we've got to grow up. We've got to get over this because God our Father is disciplining us as sons and daughters. And we need to come to that point where we say, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, with a, with a iota of of truth and reality, Lord God, not my will, but yours be done. It's a place of surrender. Now you'd say, well, that doesn't sound like a son, that sounds like a slave, that's what slaves have to do, they have to surrender and submit, don't they? This sucks, Chris, I don't like what you're telling me. Well, yes, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ humbled himself for your sake and mine. He didn't have to do what he did. Jesus, who is God, did not have to come to earth as a man. He did not have to put up with the Pharisees, the scribes, and a load of unsavories. He did not have to put with torture and interrogation. He did not have to put up with the cross. He did not have to put with death. He did not have to do that. But he did it out of obedience to the Father and as an act of love and surrender. And as followers of Jesus, those who bear his name and are to become Christ-like, we're called to do the same, to make that kind of sacrifice. I'm not going to sugar-sweet it and then say, oh, it's all lovely, it's all wonderful. It isn't. It's tough. Believe me, I bear the scars. I bear the scars. But you know, the benefits, and can I use this word, the joy that is worked in us as a result of surrendering voluntarily to God's, God's hand is beyond belief. And it'll be something I'll carry into eternity with the rest of the saints who've learnt the same lesson, that we all have to serve someone and there's none like God to serve because he raises us up and calls us son. Daughter calls us by name. It's a wonderful thing. So that's the warning. That's the sort of, you know, the health warning on the side of the fag packet. It's good though. 
It's probably the most important thing I'll say this morning. It's good though. We're called to follow Christ, to take up our crosses and to follow him. Three benefits, and I don't want to diminish them because they truly are benefits. Three benefits of being in this place of fellowship with God, being in this desert place with God. The desert place is where you you really begin to hunger and thirst after God. Hunger and thirst seem to go with deserts, don't they? But you find yourself hungering for more than just your daily bread. You you find yourself hungering for him. And what does God do in spade loads? If you are willing and if you're open, God will release you his presence. His presence. Now this morning, without any uh, real... uh, you know, consultation between Samuel and myself, we sang a lot of songs about God being with us. God gives us his presence. And in fact, there's a lovely little passage. There's many passages about this. But in uh, Exodus 33, uh, verse uh, 14, Moses says to God this, when he's in conversation, would you believe, with God? And the Lord replied, he said to Moses, he said, my presence will go with you in this desert place, in this land between, in the hubbub and and hurly-burly of the city and the success and the challenge. Sometimes it's hard to hear and feel or sense God, but in the desert place, when we're getting real with one another, God says this to Moses, says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses had the good sense to know that God's presence was everything. Otherwise, it's just playing at religion. It's just playing at, it doesn't matter how fancy and how clever it is with your AV projectors and your guitars and drums and all the rest of it. If God's presence isn't there, it's just a show. It's just a show. You may wonder why our worship team don't leap around a bit more. It's not uncommon to see that happen. Well, maybe we do need to leap around a little bit more, but the truth of the matter is I've said, please do not leap around anymore. This is not a performance. It's all about seeking God's presence. It's not about us. It's about him. And we want to train these people to seek God's presence for themselves, not vicariously, not through some lovely, lovely sweet auntie who you know always prays for you. Pray for yourself. Thank God for Auntie Nelly who's praying for you, but pray for yourself. Some wise person, I think it was David Duplessis, the great Pentecostal bishop, if you could call him that, once said, God has no grandsons. He has only sons and daughters. So if you do not have that living dynamic relationship with him, if you cannot know his presence, and that's that's the goal, that's the holy grail, if you will, then you can know God yourself. Moses says, then, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of this earth? God's presence defines us. It's who we are. The people who know God's presence. The people who begin to respond to God's presence. It's one of those wonderful lessons that we can learn in, God's, in that land between, as we seek God's face, when we say, I don't know what's going on here. I've, I've, I feel so restless. I feel in such trouble. I've just got to find a little space. And then you go, God, 
What is happening here? That prayer may be the most honest prayer you've ever prayed. And because it's real, and because it's authentic, God comes running to you. God comes running. God's presence is one of those wonderful blessings, probably the utmost blessing. The other two I'm going to mention may seem a little bit inferior compared to God's presence, but let's persevere because it's nonetheless a feature of the land between. God's protection. Well, we had that little clip from Psalm 33. When you go through the valley of death, my rod and my staff, you will fear no evil. My rod and my staff will comfort you. God's word is full. That's, that's a fanfare. That was an angel saying, now listen, now listen up. Listen up. What this, what this holy man of God is about to say is important. Thank you. Everybody do that. Let's kind of loosen up. One, two, three. Okay. So this is one to listen for. You know, um, a little bit of self-disclosure here. Uh... Over the years, a, a number of people very kindly said to me that, that they think I'm a brave man. Well, I'm, I'm very happy that they think that. The truth is I've been scared witless most of the time. And uh, in August of last year, I had a panic attack. When we were actually at a Christian conference, I picked up an email about some very difficult issues we were dealing with. And, I've never had a panic attack before, and thank God I haven't had one since. I know some of you have three a day. Usually as the, pe- the preacher goes on, you know, but, uh, but the truth of the matter, I had a panic attack, and it really freaked me out. It totally freaked me out. I mean, many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, you know, if you know what a panic attack is, it just comes out of left field and hits you like a truck. I had a panic attack, and Fliss was in a bookstore somewhere, and she came out and she found me, and she said, Sweet, sweetheart, what's the matter with you? And I said, I, I, I'm just terrified. Can I, please, you know, and I was completely disorientated. And uh, anyway, that led, with a cutting long story short, that led to a, a, a number of weeks. I, I went and saw my doctor and got some medication and, and stuff, you know, and that was helpful, very helpful, of course. But, but it actually led to a deep, deep search, a, a land between experience for me, a di- where, where I realized that in spite of the reputation I have among some people, that actually I was not trusting God, that I was afraid and I was anxious, you know, about this and a whole load of other stuff. And, 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 and Father graciously, but very firmly, said, Chris, you have got to learn to trust me. You have simply got to learn to trust me, son. And I'd gone in my trust journey so far, but it was like I was saying to God, thank you, thank you. I can take it from here. I'm good with this. Really, I'm good with this. But I wasn't. God works in us a heart of trust. And he'll do whatever he needs to to bring us to that point of time. So part of my daily prayers now is a a prayer of repentance. Father, I repent of fear and anxiety. It's part of my daily housework. You You know, you have to take out the trash at home, whatever, do the washing up put the washing on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's part of my spiritual housework. Lord, I, uh, uh, forgive me. I still don't trust you. I, I can see it. Some days are better than others, and I'm better now than I was, thank God. But I'm still working on that one. Maybe there'll come a day when I don't have to pray that every day, but I still have to pray, God, 
We are so way beyond where I ever thought we'd get to. We are so way beyond. And I'm so out of my depth. But God, I want to trust you. And I want to keep putting myself in, in the gap, positioning myself in that place where you can use me and use us as a people. Putting ourselves forward instead of holding back. Being willing to take risks, etc. And so... Psalm 34, and if you're going through that kind of place where you're wrestling with trust and is God, does God know what he's doing? Does God even know I'm alive? Psalm 34 has proved to be an enormous comfort to me. And, uh, you know, I'll just read a little bit of that. I've got a rush here, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, Psalm 34. So let me just read the first few verses of this. Uh, I think Hannah will throw up verse 19, which, uh, thank you, the righteous person may have many troubles. We will have troubles. Jesus said we'll have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Psalm 34, and I'll just read it, it won't come up. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You know, I find myself, I'm going into a challenging situation now, and the, you know, this is what the old rabbis used to teach. I will often say under my breath, I will extol the Lord at all times. And it really was a reference to the whole psalm. Jesus on the cross said, you know, you know, he, he said, my, my Lord, my God, why have you forsake, not forsaken me? That was a reference to a whole passage of scripture. And he goes on, verse two, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Not just the reality, not just the real threat, the real clear and present danger, but he delivers us from all our fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. That's our God. That's our Father. That's this God Almighty who has led us into the desert and will lead us out of the desert. That's what our God does because he's a good, good Father. Yeah, give him a clap. Could spend a lot more time on that. I've learned a few lessons about that in the last 18 months. And then finally, God's provision. God's provision. Now, God's provision is an interesting one because I think if, we, if we're in a tough time where we're looking for God's provision, we are inclined to tell God what we need. Lord God, I'm embarrassed to be driving a Volkswagen diesel car at the moment. So please give me a new Jaguar. That makes God laugh, incidentally. He has an enormous sense of humor. But we could spend all morning just swapping stories of God's provision. I mean, Fliss and I have seen extraordinary, extraordinary and practical examples of God's provision. But very often, they're not quite what I thought. They're not the Jaguar. There's some other solution. A little example, the children of Israel, when they were in the desert, you know, they came out of Egypt with, with quite fine clothes. Their, their bosses were instructed to, to, to dress them well. But once they were in the desert, you know, it's amazing what you leave along the way. You know, refugees leave the house with the gas cooker and, you know, the hi-fi set and all the rest of it. But, you know, a few hundred miles along the way, they're left beside the wayside because they're just dead weight. But the children of Israel, they found that when they were in the desert, something extraordinary began to happen. They need clothes, they need shoes. And they found that the clothes that they stood up in did not wear out. Now, ladies, let me ask you a question. How would you feel about wearing the same pair of shoes for 40 years? That may not be a blessing to you. And if you're going to say, if you've ever stood in front of your wardrobe and said, oh my God, I've got, I've got nothing to wear. 
we have wardrobes. We've had to buy wardrobes to put in other rooms for the clothes that we have. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, I know there's 60 pairs of shoes there, but they're all our seasons, Chris, you know. <laughs> My wife never says that, but you know, some people have shoe fetishes, don't they? You see, the, the answer to prayer in this situation, and I'm joking, but I'm not joking, actually is that God has a way. He knows how to look after us. He really does. And we're very quick to fix the problem and say, look, Lord, I don't want to bother you, but if I've given it a thought, and if you could just give me this awesome job that I'm getting an interview for, then, then that would be fine. I won't bother you anymore with it, and I'll tie 10%, of course. But God will often take us into the land between because he wants to teach us something there. It's not business as usual. It's not Egypt, but you don't have to go to work at five in the morning because you're no longer a slave, you're a son. It's God changes things. And there is, as I wind this up, and again, I could spend a lot more time on this. Maybe I'll come back to this next week. I don't know. I'll see how we go. But there is a wonderful passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'd like to read this to you. It's... It'll take about four minutes to read. It's 18 verses. And I would like us in a moment just to stand and the band can come up because it's in some ways, it's God's summary of what's gone on in the land between and his reminder and his charge, his commissioning, if you like, about how his people will be as they prepare to cross Jordan and take the land flowing with milk and honey. And if we as a community are in that land between... I believe we're coming to an end of it. Yep, there's some hard yards still to do, but there's more behind us now than there are in front. And as we listen to God charging, commissioning his people in Deuteronomy 18, I invite you to listen for yourself too, because there's some important insights about gratitude. Mark helped us at the prayer meeting about, about the land between being a place where we learn to be grateful. And I love that. But it's also, I think, in some ways, God's word to us as we prepare to move on to the next chapter, the next phase. So if you will, if you can, would you mind standing while I read this? I just want to honor God's word in this. And then we'll finish with a worship song and go and have coffee. You see, when we're in the land between, we're all over God. God, why? God, this. God, that. God, do. God, the other. When we come into the land flowing with milk and honey, God soon begins to take second place because we get distracted with other things. And so this chapter is headed in my Bible, do not forget the Lord. And the Lord says this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart 
that as man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good, good land. A land with brooks, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees. For I am giving you them this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through this vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Bless you, Lord.